0: Welcome to the North Star Broadcast. I'm your host, Christine Bergstrom. I'm a certified clinical hypnotherapist and breathwork facilitator with an immense love and passion for all things related to spirit, consciousness, and the path of the awakening. On this podcast, we'll be exploring all of this and more through sharing spiritually transformative, out-of-body, and near-death experiences. We will learn and grow together through inspiring conversation. Thank you for being here.
1: Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Kat Dunkel. She's an author, speaker, and near-death experiencer, and she is going to share her story with us today. So welcome, Kat. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you, Christine. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Of course. And I'm just really going to turn it over to you. Have you pick up wherever you feel is relevant and we'll just kind of go with the flow.
2: Okay. Uh, I, during my near-death experience, as I was coming back, when I actually felt the will to live and back into my body, I heard a voice say, bring people to me. I feel strongly that that was the voice of God telling me to do that. And, uh, having been an agnostic most of my life and then an atheist, I'm going, well, how do you do that? What am I supposed to do? And, uh, I tried to tell people about my experience and I didn't bring people to the Lord. All I did was scare them to death. So, uh, but. That is my purpose, and over the 50 years, over 50 years since this happened to me, that's all that I have done. So that going from this drastic thing overnight from being an agnostic and an atheist for 15 years and uh, becoming out on the other side wanting... To bring peace to people, as far as uh, what's going to happen to them when they die, that there is a loving Supreme Being, our God, that uh, uh, will lead us into death, that it isn't the horrible thing that we all fear. Uh, so, this opportunity to give podcasts or to speak to people uh, is helping me to fulfill what I feel Godly on my heart. And I recently wrote my memoir because I am getting older and going to not be able to do this very much longer. I wanted it to live on as well. So uh, I appreciate this opportunity. But my story starts out as a, a child uh, in a very dysfunctional family. My parents drank a lot. And I know most of us never, and parents are very rarely perfect. I mean, the leave it to beaver thing just doesn't happen. and. Uh, we might not, people might not know what Louis the beaver is. It was a long time ago. Anyway, uh, the family was very dysfunctional. My parents drank a lot. My father was a very angry man. Um, uh, he left school in the sixth grade to go into the uh, World War II and um, to support his, his widowed mother. And was always angry, I think, that he never could fulfill any dreams and bound his solace in alcohol. My mom was a highly educated woman that uh, was a pharmacist back in the 30s where women just didn't uh, go into that field. And. So she was a sorority queen and, and all these things, it was a very, very weird combination. And I think he resented her. I don't know. It was just a mess. So growing up was horrible. I didn't really have any uh, solid faith in God or, or know what that was all about. But as a child, I think I just naturally believed in God. Um And then as I grew into my teens, I started questioning And, uh, more and more, I just wasn't able to find anything that I could really understand or believe in. It just all didn't hit me right. And I tried, believe me, I tried every, every religion, every, everything. I tried everything, but nothing really resonated with me. So I, uh, in my teen years became very rebellious, angry. Uh, I did lots of bad things as a teenager, alcohol, a lot of, uh, Things that harm myself and other people, and uh, so uh, I jumped into a marriage by getting just to get out of home. By the time I was in my early twenties, I was the mother of two little babies and married to an abusive alcoholic, and uh, you know, horrible, horrible mess. I remember one night walking out into the living room and looking up at the sky and and just saying, you know, you smell this smell alcohol coming through the doors there and smoke and my Two babies asleep in the bedroom who cried all the time mostly. And I looked up and I said, God, you know, if you're really up there, if I could just know what it was like to have happiness and love or to, to know somebody that loved me, uh, you could just take me away then, just kill me, devastate me. I don't care. I just want to know that feeling for, for one year. That was kind of my bargain with God was up there, but I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So one day I hopped in an up car, threw my kids in the back seat. They were just one and two years old. Chris was almost two and Mark was just a little over one. And uh, uh, we drove from Kansas City to Seattle and I got into government housing. Uh, We didn't have any furniture. We really didn't have food to eat. Um, We had a little gas portable stove that heated our unit. And we'd sleep in sleeping bags on the floor. We'd see that little pilot light under there and pretend that was a campfire when we were camping. So the boys thought it was pretty great. You know, they had a pretty good time. And we could go running through the house. We wouldn't break anything because we didn't have any furniture. So uh, we'd go to the library. We'd go feed the ducks down by the lake. And we had, had a good life. And I got a good job and a really nice grandma lady to watch the boys. And so I was kind of happy. I mean, compared to what my life had been before, this was this is really great. I finished got furniture and and uh, we made a nice little home. Well, one day a lady at work told me that she hadn't met the man I was going to marry. And I went, oh, you know, there's no way I would ever, ever get into that situation ever again. I was so dead set against it. And it seems as though this man that she thought I would marry had the same situation where he had a very bad experience and was never, ever going to get married either. Somehow we got together, you know, we set up this blind date and we went out and 28 days after that day, we were married in Reno, Nevada <laughs> by Justice of the Peace, William R. Beamer. And, and uh, you know, he, for those 28 days, I met somebody that scared me to death because I felt love and it was so foreign to me. That it frightened me, and I I remember looking across the table at him at this restaurant, and I love this man. I love this man. I mean, he was handsome. He was gentle and kind. He owned his own home. He had a a brand new car. He he had a solid job. I mean, he was he loved my boys. I mean, they. (laughs) It was just unreal. So this man that he worked with came in while we were sitting there, and. He He was so drunk he couldn't even stand up, and he waddled over to us and he said, "You know, you kids belong together. uh, what would it take for you to get married and Don looked at me, and he said, "Well, if I had two hundred dollars, we'd drive to Reno and get married tonight and I went, "Oh my God, you know, I just how could he possibly love me? How could he feel the way he about me like I did him It was just how could he? He was perfect, and anyway, we did. And uh, that was 55 years ago, <laughs> tomorrow actually. <laughs> so, uh, in, in that 28 days, that was exactly a year of because one one year later, we went out on our f- first anniversary and had our very first argument, and uh, it was horrible. We had a very bad argument, it ended up with me, uh, you know, running off, and and he had bought this tavern about six months prior and I was really against it but it was kind of his dream to have his own business he had a solid job in real estate and I'm going no no not not alcohol again I I was so opposed to it and but it was his dream and I couldn't stand in his way he he wanted to be his own boss and have his own business and who doesn't want that he had a partner partner was not a very scrupulous person. But um anyway, he had this tavern. And so on our first anniversary, we went out to this nice dinner. And he said, well, why don't we just stop by and see how things are going at the tavern? And so we did. And I was sitting in the back kind of in the dark and, and everybody was congratulating him. This is really great. You're doing such a good job. And there was this barmaid that was just flirting with him. Just it was so obvious. And and I'm sitting there, I'm getting angrier and angrier and like, you know, what are you doing? And it's our anniversary. And, and, and she was flicking her hair at him and he was fixing her necklace. And I just went kaboom. And, and I just got up and ran out the door and ran down the street. And it was raining and I didn't even take my coat, my purse, or anything and just running. Cause that's what I did when I would get frustrated was run away from a situation. And this man stopped and said, lady, do you want to ride? And I said, yeah. And I jumped in a car with a total stranger and trying and drove around. He said, would you like to go home now? And I said, yes. He took me home. And Don was there by that time. And he was just furious. So we had this horrible fight, just one year, just like that bargain I had made with God. And, uh, but I didn't really think about that at the time. Anyway, uh, that's what was the downfall start of our marriage. And it was started crumbling. And I didn't work at the tavern, but except for one night a week when we had this promotion, it was Monday night on April 6th, And uh, I got ready to go to work and lean down and kiss the boys goodbye. And and, uh, went into work. And, and as I was walking in the door, Don was leaning over the counter, talking on the phone, very intent. And I, I couldn't imagine because the place was just packed with people and it was noisy. And, and anyway, he hung up the phone and came over and grabbed my arm and was pulling me out the door and, and saying words that just didn't, I didn't understand that my son Mark had, had been hit by a car. And uh I uh I just my legs just kind of went to rubber at that point. And uh we got in the car and got to the hospital about the same time as the ambulance pulled in and they pulled Mark out and I, I it was just unbelievable. Uh we were led into a room where we uh waited for hour after excruciating hour and um uh, the nurse came out and told me that I needed to call a priest. Well, I didn't know. A priest. I. I didn't go to church. I didn't believe in God. And and uh, it was. Uh, I. I said no, no. I don't want a priest in there. I want them to fix my son. I don't want anybody interfering. And so she turned away. And pretty soon this priest came and they walked by me into the into the room and shut the door behind them. And uh, and I was so angry that 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 priest was in there interfering with what they were doing for Mark and. Pretty soon he left and, uh, hours later we were done. I walked down the hall and it was, sun was just coming up and people were starting to go to work. And I'm going, you know, a normal day is starting for people. I mean, life is anything but normal. Don't they know what's going on inside this hospital? And, uh, uh, you know, it was just, just a strange feeling. I heard footsteps coming down the hallway behind me and it was the doctor and he said that they weren't able to say Mark. And, uh, I, uh, I, I just don't remember much after that, except we walked into Mark's room and I pulled the covers up over him because he felt cold and I leaned down to kiss him and saw a tear in his eye. And I said, don't cry, Mark, cause mommy's here. You know, mommy can fix anything and, uh, you'll be, you're going to be just fine. And, you know, then I just, I, I don't remember. I just collapsed at that point And, uh, and then we we were in the car and I I didn't want to go home. I couldn't face Mark's things there, his toys and his clothes. And I we drove around for hours and hours and finally headed home. And Chris, my other son came running up to me and mommy, mommy, did you hear what happened to Marky? And uh and I had to tell him. He was with his brother when he was hit by the car and saw the whole thing. And everybody ran to Mark and Chris was left there alone to walk home and tell the babysitter. And I just couldn't imagine the horror in this little kid's heart. You know, he was just, he was only at that point, just not quite nine years old. And uh, so it it was just horrible for him and horrible for all of us. Uh, I just became so, uh, I don't know what the word is where you can't leave your house. It's just, you know, mental thing where you just... I couldn't face people because I felt so horribly guilty or somebody would smile or laugh, or it was just like, how can you, how can you do that? You know, it's like this horrible guilt that was so overwhelming in me that, that kids aren't supposed to die before their moms do. And so it was, I just couldn't leave the house. And Don put up with that and was very understanding for quite a while, but pretty soon he told me that I had to, to get out of the house and And we were going to go that night to some friend's house. Uh, And so we, I started objecting and as we went out to get in the car, we started arguing about it and we got in the car and he started driving. And I, I, was yelling at him and he said you got to move on you've got to you've got to move on from this and i just lost it because i move on what are you talking about i'll never move on and i came across the car just smashing at his face just so angry and frustrated and and he's trying to drive the car and he took his arm and went like that it hit me in the back and it knocked me over to my side of the car and I didn't realize then, but that blow had caused the liver inside of me to burst. Now, there's a little sack around your liver. Your liver is like a, like a jello or something. And this sack keeps it all together. Well, that burst blew my liver into pieces and caused massive internal bleeding. So I, I don't know how I lived uh, even to get to the hospital with that. I don't know how bad it was at that point, but... We got home. Don turned the car around at that point when after he shoved me back over there and we went back home and he got out of the car and was went in the house was splashing cold water in his face. And I I grabbed the car keys and I took off in the car because again, that's what I did when I got in a corner, I ran and, and he came yelling out of the door, uh, screaming at me. But I took off and I felt this horrible pain inside of me. I, I didn't know if my heart was broken or. Well, if there really was pain in there and i got out on the freeway and i had to pull over because the pain became so intense and i was on the side of the road and my clothes undone and bending over and cars splashing water and honking at me and i thought i've got to get back home and i got back in the car i got back home i have no idea how kind of stumbling up the driveway don was standing in the door again screaming at me and i said i need to call an ambulance or something terribly wrong with me. I'm in a lot of pain. And so he just believed me and he says, well, I'll take you to the hospital if you're that bad. And and he took me to the hospital. Um, I was in the, they didn't have MRIs and CAT scans. This is back in the sixties. And uh, so they had to just go by my blood count was dropping. My blood pressure, everything was just off the chart. So they came in the room and said that I had to go into surgery. Right away, uh, they had to find out what was wrong and something. And they asked me how I got the bruise on my back and I didn't want to tell them. I didn't want them to think Don was a wife beater because he wasn't. And, uh, you know, it was just, they wouldn't have understood this reasoning for the fight that we had and what was going on in our lives. Anyway, uh, uh I went into surgery and they put the mask over my face and I knew that I should be going under but I didn't, I didn't go under. And uh, I remember everything going black and I was trying to breathe and my hands were t- tied down or, you know, secured for surgery. And I couldn't, I wanted to get the mask off my face so I could breathe, but I I, I couldn't, I couldn't move. And it was just, I was in just total panic and it was dull. Everything was dark. I, I couldn't see anything and just struggling. Like you're going underwater and you're, you're trying to breathe and you can't. And and then I, I went through a transition of going from from this darkness into what appeared to be a hallway or or a cave or whatever just a darkened hallway and uh i saw my my sons and dons standing by what appeared to be a street light and it was raining and they were crying because I was dead and I was trying to tell them, no, I'm I'm not dead. I'm okay. Something strange is happening, but I'm not dead. I'm okay. Uh, and then I moved on and I saw four people standing off to my left in street clothes, just normal people. And they were looking at me like they were really concerned. And I I thought, you know, what's wrong? They weren't people I knew. I don't know who they were don't to this day. It could have been distant relatives. I really don't know. My son Mark wasn't there I didn't see him. I don't know that I would have wanted to I don't know at that point uh but then I started drifting down the hallway and this thought came to me there there is no God and all of a sudden this horrible horrendous noise like a freight train just rushing right past my ears, loud, loud noise. And a rope being pulled through me a million zillion miles an hour. So, so fast that it was burning feeling. And then it stopped. And I knew that that God existed and I can't tell you or put into words how I knew, but I knew just like, if I put my hand up here and I know that's my hand and you're not going to convince me in any way that it's not. So that's the knowing that I knew that God existed. I knew it. I knew it. And here, most of my life, I didn't believe in God. So to have this knowledge was exciting. And and it it was, it was great. And then I heard the noise again. And I heard, felt the, the pulling through the middle of me. And, and sometimes I think maybe that was just God pulling all the hatred and the anger and everything out of the middle of me. I, I really don't know the purpose of that but again it stopped and i knew that heaven existed and i was moving towards that and and i was excited and i didn't think about anything else i didn't think about my kids or my husband or life or anything i just thought i'm going to heaven and that excitement the overwhelming excitement and and it's, it's not describable i i have never heard anybody be able to describe what the feelings of of heaven or god are like this Peace that the Bible calls peace that passes all understanding is far beyond even that. I mean, there's this euphoria, this this just incredible feeling, and I was being pulled towards that. I saw the brightness of that. I saw some kind of structure holding it back. I was almost there, and then it, the floor dropped out beneath me, and I started falling into total, total blackness, and I, I knew that I was in hell. I don't know what part of hell I was in. I wasn't in a lake of fire. I wasn't in, it was just total, total darkness and the separation of aloneness that, again, I can't describe, but I was falling into this total, total darkness knowing that I had sent myself there. And the reason that I knew that I had sent myself there was because I had blasphemed God. I didn't want to believe in God. You know, I was the one that said, God, I don't believe in you. I don't want any part of you. I hate you if you do exist. I was the one that did it. So God didn't send me to hell. I, I sent myself there and I knew it. I knew that. And I was screaming, you know, God, I believe in you now. I, I know you exist. You know, please save me from this. I'm screaming and screaming and falling into this darkness, knowing it's for eternity. I, I'm never going to hit bottom. I can't commit suicide. Who's going to come in here and save me? And I thought to myself, you know, God doesn't even know I'm here. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm non-existent at this point. And how can anybody save something that doesn't exist? So I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I was screaming, screaming, screaming. And, and all of a sudden it just stopped and I started spiraling backwards, back into the tunnel, excited, you know, somewhat that I was gone from there. And then, like I say, as I got almost back, I heard this voice say, bring people to me then I felt my spirit, who I am, my spirit enter back into my body. So at that point, I wanted to live. When that spirit had left my body, I didn't want to live. So I believe they're two separate things. Our physical bodies, but we have a spiritual self. It's who really, who we are. And this physical body is going to go away. It's going to turn to dust or whatever it does. But our spiritual self lives forever. And I came then back, into being able, being alive back of the surgery you know, when they're feverishly working on me, tubes coming in everywhere and I'm screaming to them. I died. I died. You know, I, I know that God exists. He does. And and I haven't stopped screaming that since. <laughs> so that's my story in a nutshell. And, and I do, you know, like I, I said, it's been over 50 years and I, I have never wavered one little bit. I've I grown stronger in my faith and knowing and, and, uh, miraculous things happened. I, i I did change drastically, but also my life changed and Don's and my relationship strengthened, became beautiful. Don became a really good father and um uh, i I went to to bed one night we were bankrupt through all of the mark dying and the hospital bills that I had run up um we were bankrupt, literally. We lost the, the tavern business. We lost everything, uh, totally bankrupt. And, uh, I went to bed one night and I dreamt about starting a business. I had worked for an auto agency, uh, prior to all this. And, and, uh, one day at the auto agency, I had sat down and started calling some customers up just to ask them how the, their experience was. Uh, and I really got an earful. We're talking back in the sixties where the auto agency was, Not a very scrupulous business. It was pretty bad. and But the owners were usually nice people. But communications not being what they are today, they didn't have any way of knowing really what was going on in their business. So here I was being the customer's voice, going to the owner and saying, look what happened here. And he just went crazy. This is great. He made me a manager and all this. Well, So that was my job when this all happened to me. So I went to bed that night and I dreamt about starting a business. Well, I, I had a high school education. You know, my dad told me, well, you're not college material and they wouldn't spend the money to send me to college. And I was always put down as far as my mental achievements went. You know, when I was I, even in schools, we were transferred all over the United States. My dad was with the government. So I would be just put in schools and, and kind of learn what you can because the curriculum was different. And, uh, so I, I never really thought that I was a very smart kid. I you know I kind of got by or bluffing, but I started reading all the books I could about the auto industry and self-taught on everything I ever learned. Uh, anyway, this dream told me how to start this business and encouraged me, and I did. And I, I started this business back in the 60s, and it became an international. It's still a business today. My son runs it. We became you know, very, very financially uh, secure with that business and um, had a great life. And my son is enjoying it now and made it even better. So um, so just things like that that happened and, and being just so com- this compassion that I have for anybody, especially people that have lost children, people that have just got the news that they have cancer and they're going to die uh, or their husband is dying or just died and they, they wonder where they are or what's happening to them that's my mission in life now. And, and uh, so I I pray that this story can help anybody to understand that there is something after death. And, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful.
1: So so much, Kat, such a beautiful story. I have a few questions. Do you think because of that experience and that connection that you uh, really remembered, should I say? You were more open to guidance, such as the dream coming in with what to do next and all of that. Do you feel like you're living in alignment in a whole new way?
2: You mean as far as, as my relationship with God, or or uh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. You said you had your dream after that kind of gave you guidance to start your business, and
2: I absolutely i I don't make a very very many moves without consulting and i just have to trust that voice i hear inside of me you know i don't hear a verbal voice say kathy do this or that you know it's like i i kind of know and uh i i think the more you tend to lean towards that type of uh communication the better it gets so i pretty much know that voice that's speaking to me and uh and yes to answer your question absolutely
1: (laughs) Wonderful. How could we the listeners really tune into or listen for that voice of guidance? Do you have any suggestions?
2: We you know most of us know morally right from wrong. And I would say if that voice you're hearing is telling you to do something that you know is morally wrong, you're hearing from the wrong source. And and I I will say there are two of them out there fighting for your soul. And uh I you know we people will tell me, well, hell doesn't exist. The loving God would never send anybody to hell. Well, He doesn't send anybody to hell. He didn't send me to hell. And uh, but we have a choice. And I think everybody has the same experience that I had during the dying process. And they will have that choice. So you could have a, a loved one that that doesn't believe in, in God or a uh, higher power or anything. This opportunity will be given to them and you think well they'd have to be crazy to choose to go to hell well that's not the way it works there's like i said there's this fight going on and there is true evil in this world there's true evil in people that would they didn't want anything to do with anything goodness or whatever satan and a third of the angels in heaven Left and felt they could be better than God. And they are roaming this earth. They are, there is a fight going on for your very soul. And if they left, if they thought they could be as God. They knew that. They thought, I could be as God. They're still fighting. And so the true evil of this world will choose that. They'll choose to be that way, to choose to be on that side. And it'll look good to them. And maybe it's good for them. I don't know. And what the burning lake of fire is and what the pain of hell is, I don't know about that. I do know that I did experience that. I experienced that separation uh, from God but it wasn't after, until after I didn't believe it. I cried out to God, please save me. I know that you exist and I want to be back there. So so this fight that goes on on earth between good and evil is real. And uh, I think you can see it. You can see evil in people. You can see evil that exists here on earth. So is um, that answer your question? I can't remember the question.
1: <laughs> and much more. You know, it's been said that uh, suffering is caused from uh, believing that we are separate. Would you agree with that statement?
2: That we're separate from God? Yeah. Th- that's why we have suffering?
1: Yes, that we oh. we don't recognize our connection, that we believe we're all alone. Mm. Like how you were living before.
2: Well, yes, I I. I felt that way. And, you know, I, I attempted suicide on three different occasions uh, during that period. And I believe that was the pull towards that. And I, uh, people that commit suicide, you know, I believe again in that dying process that they have that opportunity. I believe that majority of them are probably good people that were just, uh, you know, so blinded by the pain in them. And I can understand that because I was there. I was there. I felt that, that pain and the thing that stopped me i was on a third story ledge at a hotel sitting out there and taking out the screen on the on the out of the window i was sitting on a ledge kind of inching myself just knowing one little push and i it'll all be over i won't hurt anymore you know i'll be with my son and i was you know i'll be okay and so i understand that but i saw a vision of my son chris come straight at me and he said mommy don't and I fell backwards and, you know, and thought to myself, "He, was, how horrible, how horrible that would have been for him. So those who have lost loved ones to suicide, God bless you. And I, my heart just breaks for you, but just know they're okay. I mean, they're not going to hell for what they did. They will have a choice to repent from that, to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain I've caused my loved ones and, and, uh, and I'm sorry that they weren't weren't saved from that, but they weren't. And and uh, but they're going to be OK. I believe that unless they were really, really evil. And I, I just can't believe that majority of people are like that.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I've actually lost some loved ones to suicide. So it's oh, it's really touching for you to share that. Yeah. Um, so many people say when they have these NDEs that experiencing the other side is more real than it is here. Would you agree with that statement?
2: Yes, because you know that you know that you know, and here sometimes you doubt. So you know, doubt will creep its way into your your psyche, and you you you're not sure, you know. Uh, but there, I knew. I mean, I and I it lasted this many years. I know today what I knew then. And uh, yes, absolutely. Everything is crystal clear. There is no, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> None of that.
1: None of that. Beautiful. Do you think on some level uh, there was a part of you, maybe the, you know, some people call it your higher self or, or even your soul. Do you think that you planned that experience you pre-planned it?
2: Uh, oh no, I, I don't. I I don't know. I, you know, I, cause I was, I grew up without any faith. I, I had no teaching in anything, any religion or, uh, so I don't know how I could have done that. I, there was no way that I could have. I wasn't, I really was not taught anything. And I had a desire after my experience. I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Uh, my mom had, had followed Catholicism. So I went to a Catholic church and I, Went and talked to the priest and told him what happened. He got really mad at me. You know, I said, who do you think you are? You know, that that would happen to you. And you think some type of miracle happened to you? And I said, I don't know. That's why I'm here. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I had no faith whatsoever. Ever. And I, I went to the Catholic church every single day, seven days a week, every morning at six o'clock, they had mass and I was there. I was praying, just, just being with God and, and then a friend told me about an evangelical church where I could learn about the Bible and stuff. So I started going there on Wednesday nights and, and Sunday mornings after the Catholic church. <laughs> so I was in prayer constantly and, and I grew in, in, in faith and knowledge of knowing. I, I felt somewhat led that way into Christianity. And maybe that's why, uh, you know, because of my mom being a Catholic, or that's probably the only thing I knew but I, I would have been, you know, I, it wouldn't have mattered what it was. I think any type of faith filled thing would have, would have attracted me at that point. So whether I did pre plan anything, whether God did or not, I don't know, you know?
1: Yeah. So you had this experience in the sixties, right?
2: Yes. Yes. People
1: weren't talking about this kind of thing back then. Did you no. have anyone you could talk to about this where people open to the idea? What, how was that for you when you came back?
2: Well, it shocked people. I mean, it, you know, it scared some people, like I say, I, I, I would tell them about it and the reason I felt I was back was bring people to me. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't think I did that. I think I just scared people half to death, but on um, my grandmother, I remember saw something or heard something, uh, about this experience and happened to some other man, and she called me right away, and she was so excited, and my mother was so excited every time we'd have oh, excuse me sit myself. Mm-hmm. every time we'd have company come over or something, she would tell them, you know oh, Kat, Kat, tell them about this. or tell them about that, you know, or uh, it was you know weird and and uh uh, no, I hadn't heard of anybody having experience like that, and i I, I didn't until probably you know. 10 years after that. So I, I didn't know, I didn't know what happened to me and, and people I would talk to thought it would be better if I just kind of kept it quiet and just had it be the motivation behind me to do what, what God had asked me to do. But I, I didn't, I, I told people I was not afraid to speak out on God's behalf because I felt that God had led me to do that. So,
1: um, uh, And Kat, what would you say is our purpose here as human beings? I know that's a big question. I've heard everything from um, experiencing emotions to learning what love is uh, to learning lessons. From your experience, what would you say is our purpose here?
2: I think for myself, it's to learn. I'm here on earth to, to strengthen my eternal relationship in heaven, and it'll be so far beyond anything even that I have experienced that, uh, you know, there are people that have had these experiences that actually get into heaven and talk to Jesus or talk to God or talk to whoever. But, um, I didn't get that far. And I, I, you know, so I, I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I think I'm here on earth right now to prepare myself for that. I know it's going to be far beyond anything I know. I don't know either. Too, I don't know if what my obedience to God helps in any way in my eternal life. I'm not sure about any of that. I feel very led by God. I feel that almost every decision I make certainly is is brought before God, and and I wait for that that feeling, that that knowing of okay, let's go do this. And uh, so, I, I I believe that obedience learning all of these things that we have to learn on earth. Beautiful.
1: And one last question I have for you is what advice or what would you say to someone who's really struggling right now, who's experiencing depression, who, you know, God forbid, may be contemplating suicide? What would you say to them?
2: There's a reason you are born and, and you need just, I know you're miserable right now. I know that you're fearful right now, but, but trust me that there's more you can get over the hump. You know, you're, you're on an uphill battle right now. But once you get to the top, you're going to slide down the other side and it's going to be great. So any decision that you make to make yourself as God, which would Suicide or anything of that would be taking away from God's purpose for you is wrong. And and I'm not saying you would go to hell or you'll be punished or anything else. I'm just saying, please, please hang on because it's critical for you and uh and if you think things are bad now believe me they can get worse i mean one of the things my husband and i used to always say to each other when we were going through the depths of bankruptcy and losing things and my son being killed and all these things well at least things can't get any worse and we turn around and it something would happen even worse so it was certainly a lesson that even though you're at the depths of despair hang on, and to find somebody. I mean, there's so many resources out there. You say, well, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Keep trying. Don't give up. Please don't give up.
1: Thank you so much. And Kat, tell us about your book.
2: My book I wrote because, like I say, I,
1: I'm 80 years old
2: now, and I want I want my story to go on, and it goes into a lot more detail of the questions that you've been asking and uh, things that I wanted to tell people and, uh, it's called, is it safe to die? <laughs> I'll give you an upfront. It, it is, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it, it, it may be asked just maybe a better answer to your question that you just asked me, but I would encourage people to buy it. I, you know, people say, well, you're trying to make money off this authors don't make money trust me uh you know it cost me two thousand dollars to have it edited so the words were right and two thousand dollars to get it published so i'm not trying to make money on it please trust me for that i'm trying to get the words i feel god gave me out to people as best i can and possibly leave something for when i'm gone so it's called is it safe to die and it's on amazon and uh if you uh uh want to just email me at at, uh, my emails is the cat 137 is t-h-e-k-a-t 137 at aol.com if you have at that place where christine's talking about where you're really stuck email me i'd love to talk to you and and we can work through this together and i do encourage you to buy the book because it it will help a lot of people that are suffering right now
1: Thank you so much cat. I really enjoyed our conversation today and I'm sure it will bring many people messages of hope and and encouragement to keep on keep on going right right keep on keep it on <laughs> yeah thank you so much cat It's been a true pleasure
0: yes thank you Christine if you have an experience you'd like to share with us, please email me at the north star broadcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, please visit my website at christinebhypnotherapy.com. Thank you so much for listening.